Good morning, and welcome to episode 618 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I am Ben Lindbergh of Grantland, joined by Sam Miller of Baseball Prospectus. Hello. Hello. Hi. It's Astros Day on our Team Preview podcast series. Later in this episode, Sahadev Sharma will be speaking to Evan Drellick, the Astros beat writer for the Houston Chronicle. But we are speaking to Ted Walker, who you may remember as the founder of the excellent baseball blog, Pitchers and Poets. I should say co-founder of Pitchers and Poets, so I don't completely eviscerate <laughs> the, the true nature of that blog. But thank you for having me. We appreciate your accuracy. And he is also the author of the Astros essay in the BP Annual, which makes him uniquely qualified to come on the show and talk about that team with us today. And this is, what, the seventh team we have previewed, and we are just now getting to the Astros, whereas a year ago, the Astros led off our team preview podcast series, which we order by worst teams first, essentially, <laughs> or worst projected team first. So I don't know whether that is the rubric by which Jeff Lunau is judging his success, the order in which the Astros go in our team preview podcast series, but that seems like progress. He probably has a spreadsheet somewhere <laughs> with that order logged in it. Probably so. So you live in Houston. Have you seen the Astros on your television lately? I, the, I, I will be able to, which is uh, yeah, <laughs> which is quite an accomplishment. Uh, Root Sports stepped in and saved saved the Astros watching public from its strange predicament last year of uh, of half the population. <laughs> Half of an uncaring population uh, <laughs> unable to watch the game should they have been uh, caught up in Astros fever on a random Tuesday evening. Um, <laughs> and were you, were you part of you were part of that that fifty percent that could yeah, not see I, Astros? Yeah, I I have maintained my no I I, I could see them so I was uh, fortunate in that regard to be a or or unfortunate enough to be a Comcast customer, however you look at it. But uh, so then that means that you either didn't watch the Astros on the days when they had zero ratings, or you are not a Nielsen family. I, I think I'm statistically insignificant. Might be the <laughs> might, might be the case. But uh, no, I'm ex- I'm excited for everybody to be able to see them this year. It's kind of a it's it's microcosmic of the Astros that. Even having them appear on television on a regular basis feels like a big victory, mm-hmm. like a win, like we're 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 getting back to zero. <laughs> that's, that's how it feels. Baseline, we're moving towards baseline, slowly but surely. It takes like uh, Rick Perry to come in and and on a helicopter to to get the team on TV is what it's it like, like. It's it's like when you're able to get your wife's wedding ring back from the pawn shop. <laughs> uh, and, and Jeff Luno's standing behind the counter with two palms flat on the glass. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's broadcast replacement level. They are on television. You can exactly. watch them. Exactly. So uh, we should talk about the team that people will be watching or will have the option to watch, but... A lot of your essay, as it had to be, was about Astros' miscues from last season. There were many, and we talked about many of them on this podcast at the time. I just want to know, of the of the four main scandals or embarrassments that you discuss in your essay, the, the 
failing to sign Brady Aiken, the number one draft pick, the TV debacle, which we have just touched on, the ground control leak of Astro's internal notes, and the firing of manager Bo Porter. Which of those, if any, has uh, could could potentially cast a pall over future Astros seasons? Or are these just things that we're going to look back on and laugh once the Astros are better? I mean, we, we laughed last season too, but maybe we will laugh for different reasons. You know, I I don't know if any of the four have will have that kind of lasting impact. I think that's part of what's so strange about them is that they were sort of individually, uh, you could compartmentalize them and look past them. And I mean, the, the Aiken situation in which we didn't sign the number one pick, I think was, was the, the greatest challenge to the, the identity of the team. And, and I think the identity of the, the fan base, um, you know, a lot of a lot of the core Astros fans really have embraced this Luno esque view of the world. The, you know, looking to the future, uh, really strategically approaching the draft, um, almost taking a sort of pride in the, you know, gaming the various. Um, I'm forgetting the term right now, but the you know the the slot values and stuff. And so, um, to have that number one pick fall through I think at the time was was really demoralizing in the sense that sort of our greatest value you know our our, our greatest sense of identity was was undercut almost you know you almost got the felt like like the feeling like Luno had gone too far um so that was really difficult that said when I looked at this year's draft order and you see number two and number five in the you know first round, you think, God, Luno, you you <laughs> mad bastard! Look at you, like you somehow managed to swing this thing back around again, and I can't, you know what? Uh, so you know, it's almost like I I am ready for Brady Aiken's elbow to pop on his third pitch in the bullpen. You know, the first minor league game of his career. That's I like maybe I've been brainwashed so that I'm you know I've got. Heisenberg says I was Heisenberg. What's Heisenberg syndrome? That's not right. That sounds like something strange. That's, from that's when you watch Breaking Bad, right? It's, yeah. Uh. <laughs> uh, but I, you know, I, maybe that's how much I've bought in. But at the time, that that felt like a like a, a crack in the foundation. That said, you know, um, I think he can he can he has the capacity, obviously, to recover from strange stuff like that. Uh, the cable TV deal, you know, it's it'll it's back on this year. Uh, did it erode the fan base uh, so completely that they'll never recover? I doubt it. This is a pretty fair weather town. Um, when we start winning games and George Springer goes crazy and Carlos Correa comes up and you know they'll, they'll come back and and that'll swing. Um, ground control, I think, was was a dead spin style entertainment for a week or two that sony and north korea have pretty effectively uh minimalized i think in the in the public consciousness uh and you know the bo porter situation tell me to stop talking if at any point i've gone too long but i think um porter was a hard to say um you feel like you try to understand a team's culture and and you want to feel like everybody's sort of getting along and 
and carrying through with a vision. And that was, for me at least, was kind of a surprise, a surprise ending um, where I, you know, what I thought I understood about this team was, you know, I obviously I didn't understand it at all. I think someone who was in on the inside probably had a better sense of whatever strange relationship uh, Luno had with Porter. Um, so, but, you know, that said, I think Porter, um, they, they talked a lot about how he managed and what his style was and how he, t- you know, talked to the young kids. And and there's a point at which if you're talking about the manager that much, your team must be really crappy. So it's, I think in a sense, I and, you know, other Astros fans are probably ready to talk about the manager less. In a mm-hmm. way. So, so each of them, maybe it's this weird 2014 snapshot that we probably won't you know transition year into hopefully respectability i think we were conflating stockholm syndrome and the heisenberg uncertainty principle somehow (laughs) we've gotten to the bottom of that like (laughs) luno would probably conflate them and then five minutes later explain how he did it completely (laughs) intentionally in a way to expand your understanding of uh hostage situations and, and serial television so uh, I know that you literally 40 seconds ago said that you don't want to talk about the manager anymore. Uh, but I actually want to talk about the manager a little <laughs> bit. Um, did you get the feeling while Bo Porter was was there, while he was there during the 110 lost seasons, uh, did you get the feeling that he was going to be around when they got good? Did, did, his, did, it, did he seem like the kind of guy who could also manage a – win team or did it always kind of feel like he was just the right dude for a bad news bears style team uh, but that he probably was gonna get kind of joe maddened out of the way when when it when the time came you know i probably didn't pay enough attention uh to his personality i think i i was excited when he came in i think he he brought an element of i think uh you know a little bit of confidence maybe overconfidence that the Astros have as a team historically have been pretty humble and you know the Craig Biggio Jeff Bagwell identity that I think lingered for a few years after with your Berkmans and your Oswald so so at the time I was excited about that level of enthusiasm um you know I think regular watchers felt a little bit like his on-field decisions were were lacking a certain sharpness and and logic um i you know i honestly i i didn't feel, i don't feel like i i know how to grade a manager um i think you know you kind of you get a sense of how he deals with the media and that kind of thing but i you know i didn't have a strong feeling one way or the other and i you know when he was fired i kind of felt like i, I felt i felt pressured to sort of have a revisionist history view of even the way i felt about him you know Oh, why, why did I, why did I think that him being enthusiastic was a good idea? Clearly nobody, you know, he was too enthusiastic. I was a fool to think that enthusiasm would help this team. You know, he wouldn't, how could he ever get along with those? So I, you know, I think on a personal level, I felt, I felt like kind of a dummy about it. Um, but I, you know, I didn't, I didn't give it a lot of thought in terms of the, the long-term team. And you wrote in the essay, uh, Porter's departure added to the general sense that the mega planners were planning on the fly. And that definitely seemed to be the case maybe uh, outside the fan base. That was probably how it was regarded. But did you 
have that sense, uh, like, this clearly wasn't part of the plan, but did it shake your faith in the larger long-term plan? I think so. I mean, I think the the sound bites when Porter got hired were everything that you wanted to hear as an Astros fan. You know, he's not just here to to shepherd the the kids, you know, he, you know, and, and he'll work together with Luna, who's got this vision. And, and so, I, you know, I think they they really screwed that up. You know, I think it's it's hard to argue that they didn't that uh, that they completely miscalculated the relationship between the GM and the manager. And that I mean, I didn't get any sense that they that this was part of the plan, you know, kind of a two year plan. I mean, they they fired him. I can't remember the exact number, but what, 30 days, 30 games, something like that left in the season, which is just awkward city when you bring in a interim manager, you know, I think he was the AAA manager. It's nothing felt, it felt like uh, an untenable situation, which is a very, a very non-Luno-esque maneuver to, to feel untenable. And, you know, you could say the same with the Aiken situation. I think, we'd all become so accustomed to the idea that Luno kind of carefully controls uh, everything that happens, you know, and that, that to feel that lack of control, I think was what did overshadow some of the, the positive aspects of the season. So the Astros were active this off season. And mm-hmm. at first they went very aggressively after relievers and they were connected to the the top closers available, David Robertson, guys like that. Did that surprise you? Obviously, the bullpen was bad last year, but was this a case of a team that doesn't seem like it's gotten to the point where it necessarily needs a fancy closer, although they, they ended up kind of getting a couple good setup guys instead. But did that seem like a, a priority to you? I feel the same way about the bullpen that I do about managers. If you're talking about improving your bullpen, then your team's probably pretty terrible. Uh-huh. Um, so I, you know, I, I, you know, I almost feel like last year there was maybe an equal amount of emphasis put on improving the bullpen, and and every name that you'd heard of uh, from last year's bullpen blew out an arm or an elbow or a shoulder and it just ended up being a complete non-factor and our best relievers were Chad Qualls and uh you know Tony Sip who was a waiver wire pickup so I I have trouble in that light getting too excited uh about bullpen additions that said you know sounds great Mm -hmm. I I want a good bullpen don't you why do you why do you think uh why do you think there was so much attention paid to it last year I mean this was a team that was roundly pretty bad uh Mm -hmm. It was. Is it just like you can suffer losing, but you just can't suffer losing in the eighth? It just becomes too too heartbreaking to watch that happen. Yeah, I think that's you know that feels like sort of PR move number one to say we're not going to lose games in the late innings, and it, it's a it almost seems to me like an inexpensive way to address a, a PR issue. I mean, it, isn't that one of the the most known sort of unpredictability factors you two probably know better than me but but uh trying to put together a good bullpen throwing money at it is seems to me fairly futile Uh, i believe sam miller once called it the most fleeting way to win in an article that he entitled the most fleeting way to win i think you probably entitled it that (laughs) i might have (laughs) one of us did you wrote the rest of it (laughs) um 
Well, thank New you. Subject. I appreciate having that support. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, uh, so, so a year ago, they the Astros had probably like two positions where they looked like they were good. Maybe third base. Although I always thought that that was kind of, I, I never really bought Matt Dominguez. And otherwise, they were pretty awful everywhere. And it was like hoping that George Springer would provide a third decent player. But now you look at their depth chart. And uh, and they're good everywhere. Like they're actually legit. They're probably a you know average or above at like seven of the nine positions. And Castro and Singleton are the two guys you would say they aren't. Uh, and both of them have certainly the potential to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, they are like uh, suddenly a very competent lineup. If you were not looking at, um, well, I mean, even if you are looking, they're you know n- close to a five hundred team probably. But if you were just looking at their offense, uh, you'd say, "Hey, that's a contender." Are you surprised? Uh, I know it. I know this has been a very slow process, and that they are certainly not the Padres of this offseason. Mm-hmm. But are you surprised how much progress has been made in the last year, uh, or are you still underwhelmed that this is now going on year five of the Great Rebuild? For the Astro fan. This feels like the Padres offseason. It feels like the way the Padres offseason maybe feels on a national level. Locally, this this is a strange new territory. Uh, so so I feel I, I feel quite surprised by it, quite enthusiastic about it. Um, I, I, there's there's some part of me as an Astros fan that gets nervous every time we trade away a prospect because it feels like we're doing something wrong at that point. But as you said, when you when you look at our lineup and you realize that there's experienced major league hitters, um, even question marks, you know, a guy like Colby Rasmus, even a question mark hitter like that feels like we're in the game. We got qu- we got question marks, but they're major <laughs> league players. You know? Yeah, and that. That's that's a fun feeling. It really is. You know, even the opportunity to watch a guy like Rasmus uh, live or die at the major league level, um, it it really does feel like like we're back in it. So I'm really excited. Um, I don't know if I was ready for it to happen this quickly, which maybe that's ridiculous that this feels quickly to me, but um, it's exciting. You know, and I it's. Guys like Gaddis, I mean, this is this is the kind of guy you want to go out to the ballpark and watch hit. You know, you want to watch him take BP, and and we haven't had a lot of hitters like that. Uh, so thrilled, really. And I, you know, I think um, looking back at that kind of four point dismantling of the Astros season last year, it, it's hard even to connect that team to this team at this point, which is probably the most gratifying thing about this offseason. And the other thing that's sort of striking about their lineup is that they have depth. They have, like, legitimate major league depth, like Marisnik and Marvin Gonzalez and, and Hank Conger and, um, you know, Dominguez as a backup. I mean, those are all guys who are, like, second, you know, they're, they're first division backups. You have a first division bench, if not quite a first division team. But um, so then it comes down to pitching and defense. The defense seems like it should be terrible, uh, particularly, well, I was <laughs> I was going to say particularly, and I didn't know where to go. So I guess just <laughs> never mind. <laughs> Everywhere. Um, I, I like, uh, like, you know, we have this short porch in left field, the Crawford boxes. 
and I like to, uh, I've convinced myself that because there's actually less ground to cover that we can put a really terrible left fielder in left field and it won't be as bad because it's just a smaller piece of real estate. That's Yeah, and a terrible shortstop at shortstop too, right? You can get away with a terrible everywhere. It's because you have a shorter left field. You can just, <laughs> the, whole, the whole team can be worse. Uh, but, yeah. uh, so, okay, so um, obviously a huge part of what made last year encouraging was the development of two really good pitchers that nobody was really expecting to be really good pitchers. Um, I would assume that you buy Keiko more than you buy McHugh, but how much do you buy each of those guys? I think I, you know, I, I buy them about the same level that I buy Altuve hitting 341 again this year. You know, it's, it's guarded optimism with the, with the understanding that there's going to be some reversion. I think Keiko, you know, I don't have all the numbers in front of me, but I intuitively feel like he, he built up to his success more than McHugh did. You know, he, he had a couple years where he was a back end starter kind of logging those innings, um, you know, just showing solid starts where, you know, you think to yourself, okay, he's got a little bit of this crafty lefty feel. And, and that last year he, he elevated that, you know, maybe it was the pitching coach, maybe it was the breaking ball got a little stronger. Um, so I think, you know, I think there's a sense that he has, he has kind of come into that. Honestly, um, McHugh just, you know, he seems, uh, seems like a wild card, um, but his numbers are really good, and I I pretty regularly forget that. I think he had something like nine nine Ks per nine, which it, it doesn't even sound right, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if he were if he were twenty two and a first round pick, he might have finished second in rookie of the year voting. Right. Instead, he's twenty seven, and hardly anybody knows he was a rookie. He beat he beat Tanaka though in the voting. That was kind of exciting. Uh, Astros they were actually baseball. Weird. Sorry, <laughs> Astros baseball. <laughs> <laughs> Beat the guy who missed <laughs> most of the rest of the season with an injury. Well, so tell us about Altuve because you wrote about Altuve and the significance of his great season and what it was like to watch it. And how much higher are your expectations for Altuve heading into this season? than they were heading into last season. Well, I mean, compared to last season, I don't think there were there were any any expectations on the level at all uh, that he would that he would do what he did. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think going into this season, you you said to yourself, "We've watched his career year. What's next?" You know, and and hopefully, you know, I think the hope is it's not his career year, but it's hard to imagine, um, you know, the luck and the the whatever else it took um lining up but uh you know i think you hope for a kind of settling back into a 315 batting average 350 on base you know keep the speed um that to me is optimistic even in even in a big regression that's still an optimistic um approach that said he brought something to the astros he that had been missing which is just major league level talent and I, you know I, it sounds so silly but it's it's true that we have watched minor league talent for so many years not so many but enough years that you you forget what it looks like to watch someone be really excellent 
on your own team. And so, so the level to which he brought that back last year, um, to me is immeasurable. I mean, hopefully Springer will take that even farther and, you know, the free agents and, um, but you know, so some regression, that's cool. Um, and you, you do have that feeling like it's, you know, you hate to waste his career year on a 70 win season, but, uh, you hope he uses it to establish kind of a long BGO esque, uh, ride, mm-hmm. which I should also mention BGO at some point as Just being, <laughs> I think I did. Yeah. <laughs> Mission um, accomplished. We can cross that out. Though. <laughs> uh, but that, yeah. BGO alone is enough to make this offseason just a just a, a a win all around for Astros fans. Mm-hmm. You, you guys, I have a quick correction. A quick correction to make. I said that McHugh would have finished uh, second in Rookie of the Year voting if he had been a 22 year old first round pick instead of a 18th round 27 year old. The guy who actually finished second in Rookie of the Year voting was also 27 and went undrafted as a, <laughs> as a pitcher, Matt Shoemaker, and was worse than McHugh. So I'm just gonna revoke that hypothetical <laughs> he's got a better name though shoemaker i'll, I'll give him that mm-hmm. that probably earned him a few votes so you did get to see two incredible chris carter months which must have been fun july and august chris carter 968 ops which in 2014 is remarkable and hit 20 home runs in that two month span wasn't great before that wasn't great in the last month of the season but is what he did in those two months something you can imagine seeing again, or is that complete Chris Davis kind of thing? It, it felt in some sense like that was that's what he was designed to do. I mean, I think he always hit the ball hard, mm-hmm. uh, even in sucking. And so there was a there was an it was fun <laughs> to watch. I mean, I his he, he's the type of player whose style and whose demeanor doesn't change no matter what he's doing, whether he's hitting 216 and striking out every other at bat or, or hitting baseballs really far for two months. Um, so I, I mean, even he gives off an air that, that he's going to do things the way he does things. And sometimes he'll hit a lot of home runs and sometimes he'll strike out a lot. Mm-hmm. Or maybe even both at the same time. <laughs> right. uh, so uh, another guy i wanted to ask you about is john singleton someone someone requested that we do play index segments for every show team specific play index segments and i thought maybe i could do one about john singleton's batting average it doesn't really work that well because john singleton batted 168 last season in 362 plate appearances which you'd think would be historically significant and it kind of is but in the same season, Stephen Drew got 300 plate appearances and hit 162. So that kind of spoils it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Still tied for the eighth lowest batting average of the last oh, 115 years or so in that number <laughs> of plate appearances. But mm-hmm. it's one of those weird lines where the rest of it looks relatively respectable. So what did you think of John Singleton and his 37% strikeout rate? <laughs> Uh, the optimistic... I may be leading, maybe leading the witness with that framing of that question. I don't know. Uh, the the optimistic side of me hopes that 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 was his sort of you know fourth trimester of the minor leagues, um, where he just needed to see some pitches, uh, not worry about the outcome, 
and uh, and leave it behind, you know, for the next season. I, you know, I, I have a lot of confidence in his his sort of batting eye and his his bat speed and and the kind of stuff that that is unlearnable uh, mm-hmm. in a sense. So you know, I I continue to be optimistic, and I I still enjoy watching him hit, uh, even in failure because i you know he's got a certain amount of poise in the box uh you know he he knows how to handle the bat so it's it's i i i never felt like he was overpowered in a physical sense you know it's one of those things where the the results didn't seem to be matching up with his sort of presence so i'm hoping that that's a that's a sort of a psychological hurdle mm-hmm. a confidence hurdle um yeah, you know, the numbers. What number? What's this deal with all, with numbers? Come on. <laughs> You're right. You're right. And the two trades that they made for catchers. I am including Evan Gaddis as a catcher in this question, which I realize <laughs> is a stretch. But the the first one for Conger, a lot of the attention focused on his pitch framing abilities, which are are considerable. And yet the Astros already had three guys who rated well in all of those all of those pitch framing metrics, Castro and Corporan and even Max Stasi, the, the data that we have, suggests that he was good at that. So I guess my question is, does he really give them anything that they didn't have? And then the Gaddis question is just kind of an open-ended, what did you think of that trade? Because that was a different sort of trade than we have seen the Astros make in the last few years. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think I have an answer on Conger. Uh, I, I was sort of surprised to look up Castro's numbers and find that it wasn't some huge problem with pitch framing that that bringing in Conger would correct. Um, I think Castro is he's sort of slip sliding uh, slowly but surely, probably out of out of uh, the kind of first round draft pick status that he held for a while, obviously he had a great year a couple years ago. Um, so I don't, I don't know if I have an answer on Conger. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm sure Luno has an answer. That's like spoken like a good Astros fan at this point. Um, Gaddis was like really surprising and awesome. <laughs> you know, we gave up a prospect that I think was one of those, one of those fruits of a well strategized draft so i think a, a lot of people kind of held on to uh well both of them were ruiz and fultonevich but to get to get a player in return who just is an interesting player and is fun to watch um and is on some level proven just was a just felt like a good trade you know it felt like a like a surprising fun little bit risky but also a lot of upside to it Guy doesn't wear batting gloves. His jersey fits too tightly, you know. Like his just legs are bulging out of his sort of '80s style um, trousers. Like, what's not to enjoy about that? Uh, you know, I think in terms of the team, I think it makes the DH position kind of interesting. It makes the the outfield scramble kind of interesting. Um, Hinch mentioned recently that that spring training is going to be a time when he's sort of flipping through these these outfield DH options to see what feels right. Uh, so I, you know, I think that's compelling on some level, and to see if Gaddis can do anything in left field or or at first base. I mean, it doesn't seem like there's any room for him behind the plate. Um, 
that said, he's kind of fun to watch behind the plate, kind of like Paul Paul Bunyan, uh, Paul Bunyan catcher. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe late inning replacement, but but you know, overall, I think it just adds adds a compelling element to the team just to just to mix and match and see what happens. And it it to have sort of too many major league bats to fit in defensively is another one of those Astros luxuries that we haven't had that kind of luxury in a good while. You are the second guest this week to name the pitching prospect who went to Atlanta in the Evan Gaddis trade, and the pronunciations <laughs> could not have been more similar. And I now feel like rather than asking every guest to predict how many wins his team will make, we should just ask them to pronounce that name. Uh, but instead, just, don't make, just don't make me spell it. That's all. Uh, instead, we're going to tell you to predict uh, how many wins the Astros will have this year. I'm going to go optimistic. I'm going to say like uh, like 76, 77. Uh, which one of those? 70, 77. I'm going to go. <laughs> I'm going to take the optimistic of my two optimistic predictions. Well, uh, you'll be happy, I guess, if you consider that optimistic. You'll be happy to know that that is exactly what Pakoda says: seventy-seven wins. Hmm. Uh, so um, maybe um, you know, maybe you guys are a cyborg. You and Pakoda are a cyborg better than either man or machine alone. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Well, that is all the questions we have. Thank you for talking to us about the Astros, Ted. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. And people can find Ted Walker on Twitter at TedWalker00. Stay tuned after the musical interlude for Sahadev speaking to Evan Drellick of the Houston Chronicle. Welcome to the second half of the Effectively Wild podcast. I'm Sahadev Sharma, associate editor for Baseball Prospectus. With me is Evan Drellick, Astros beat writer for the Houston Chronicle. Uh, we are going to preview the 2015 Houston Astros, who... I believe we're projecting now. I had it in front of me, and I see this is how unprepared I am. Uh, I believe they were projected for either 77 or 78 wins by Pakoda. So uh, not, I mean that's that's actually pretty good for the Astros. I feel like I, I felt I feel like that's a nice bump. Uh, and now, Evan, I, I have this theory with the White Sox, who had uh, an awful bullpen, and that's something that the Astros had uh, that. You know, you just fix that bullpen, which the White Sox went out and did, and and that actually adds a lot of wins that you know maybe advanced stats or you know uh, just pro- projection systems can't really look at. Because I I sat through a lot of White Sox games and it was just brutal. That bullpen would come in, it'd be a two-one game, and all of a sudden it's eight to three, and a two-hour, two and a half-hour game uh, became a three-hour and forty-five-minute game. It was it was awful. Uh, do you think that is that something that happened when watching the Astros? Do you think that they if they fix this bullpen, which you know they had some nice pieces and Sip Fields and Qualls, and then they added Gregerson and uh, Pat Neshek, uh, is, is that uh, is that something that could significantly turn this team around? Well, it's funny you mentioned the White Sox because, uh, granted, they're uh, minor pieces of, of what they did, but two of the guys they brought in are Jesse Kareem and Matt Albers, who, uh, if you look back to last year's Astros team, you can kind of point to their health situations as why the, the bullpen really struggled. Yeah, it, yeah, they, they set out to fix the bullpen, uh, 
for all we can tell at this point, they've done that. I, I would expect Gregerson will be the closer. Uh, Nishek will end up being uh, probably, you know, Nishek and Kowal are kind of interchangeable setup men. The bullpen last year, you actually saw pieces of emerge um, despite the overall high ERA. You know, Tony Sipp was uh, one of the best pickups the Astros have had. Uh, you know, he was, he was in AAA with the Padres, and the Padres uh, just didn't, I, I guess, they never informed. Uh, so they, they picked, brought him in in May. Uh, he was really lights out at the start. Um, let up a little bit later on in the season, but you kind of expected some regression there. You know, Josh Fields really came on. Uh, he went down to the minors, came back up pretty quickly, uh, and he was lights out uh, for a while there. So there was kind of a, a developing core there. Even Jose Veras, who I frankly was surprised um, didn't get a major league deal. I was a little surprised Joe Patrick didn't get a major league deal on the front office. Um, you know, there were pieces that emerged, uh, and, and those guys are still there, including Qualls, who was great outside of games against the A's, uh, who just uh, totally tormented him. Um, but, yeah, that, that's been a major thing. I, I think you would, if you ask anybody in the clubhouse, the end game loss is kind of crushing emotionally and all that. And I, I think the yes, has probably reached a point where, A, they're willing to spend more money so they have the ability to go out and fix the bullpen, as they did at the winter meetings when they signed both uh, Greg and Mishik on the same night. And also a, 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 a level of tolerance, maybe they just uh, kind of got fed up. You know, going into 2014, um, that was a major goal. And that was a lot of the talk of last winter, uh, 2013, 2014, when it was fixing the bullpen. And, uh, you know, they didn't do it. So I, I think maybe they realized they kind of had to put their uh, money where their mouth is to uh, use a cliche. Uh, when it comes to the catching situation, I feel like Jason Castro has been in trade rumors uh, for a year and a half now, maybe two years, and he's still on the Astros. And, you know, they added Guy in Conger, they added Gaddis, who, you know, probably will catch a half a dozen games if, you know, if that. And, and Max Stassi is still there. I mean, is is there is there a need to move Castro? Is there an urgency to? Is that something that uh, needs to be figured out, you know, if not uh, before the season by July? Or... Are, are they fine just kind of going forward with Castro as the as the main guy and Conger uh, getting the bulk of the backup uh, starts? Yeah, I, I think Castro is the starting. Somebody asked me yesterday uh, whether they thought there was a competition there. I, I really don't think there is at all. I, I know there isn't one. You know, they look at Castro. He had a bad year offensively last year. He actually had a much better defensive year, though. You know, if you, if you could get the offense Castro in 2013, combined with the defense he had in 2014, you have, you have a very productive play. I would expect they will trade him at some point. And uh, again, with the White Sox, there was a team that uh, had some interest in Castro. Um, a lot of teams have interest in Castro. He's an attractive player. He's a, he's a catcher with some power. You know, he, he's got this year and he's got next year of control. So there's no urgency to move him this year. I would expect at some point they probably do move him. Um, you know, Stassi had a down year at AAA. He's still a prospect. He's still well regarded. Uh, but even though Jeff Luna might at times refer to him as, as a major league catcher, he's been in the big leagues, but the, there's no kind of proof at this point uh, that Stassi, who is, by the way, one of the nicest people I, I talked to in baseball, uh, uh, you know, is kind of ready to step into that role. And the same with Conger. You know, we know the framing is fantastic, um, but there's also a lot to prove there. Uh, can he hit from both sides of the plate effectively? Could he handle full workload and, and, and kind of be a competent offensive player while giving you that framing? So right now, Conger is a complimentary player. I think the Astros are very happy to have Castro. I think um, everybody around the Astros is, is hoping for a rebound uh, from him and, and to see those offensive numbers kind of creep back up to what you saw in 2013. 
Yeah, you you talk about that those offensive numbers. He's he's a guy that could help turn this offense around. Uh, and it's an interesting offense. I wrote about it for Baseball Prospectus, and there's a they have this uh, mix of you know high strikeout guys, but they have a ton of power there too. And you know I, I'm assuming they didn't go out and say let's go get as many strikeout guys as they can. They just they know power is hard power is hard to come by, and you're not gonna the guys that you know walk more than they strike out and hit 35 40 home runs aren't available anymore you have to draft and develop those guys or you're going to get them at the age of 34 or something like that so they so they got some nice guys some some nice offensive pieces but what has been their explanation for that dynamic that huge strikeout but a ton of power what how have they uh described how they went about building this offense in the offseason you know, I, I choose to believe them uh, when they when they told me that uh, that this is not some sort of great Astros um, calculation or or that they figured out something about strikeouts that nobody else has figured out. I think it's really just how the offseason worked out. You know, Vasquez is an example of that. Whereas Jed Lowry is somebody they targeted right out of the gate uh, going into the winter. The Rasmus situation developed, um, and then well, there you go. Now you've got somebody else in your lineup who uh, strikes out heavily. I, I kind of look at it as, as uh, a sacrifice for the greater good, and you're touched on it. If the offense is more productive than it was last year, and you look at the infield offense, put, take Altuve away, you know they they were miserable at the corners uh, between John Singleton and Matt Dominguez. They needed some more offense. Um, could we see a lot of games that uh, may, might uh, make you want to pull your hair out if you're AJ Hinch? Yeah, um, but I, I think we got to kind of see where what happens here and, and whether. So Castro's one of those strikeout guys because he reduced them a little bit. We'll see. I I, I kind of want to wait and see before killing them for it because if you touch to the touch time, I, I do think they have improved the offense. Uh, it just so happens that you know there, there might be maybe we'll have a new record. You know they set the record in 2013 with I think it was 1535 if I remember properly. Um, but I, I think overall they're going to be okay. The offense is going to be okay, and and the power is. Rare. I mean, they have a rare amount of power between guys like Gaddis and Carter. Yeah, uh, the conclusions that I came to, at least that Bakota gave me, were that they're they're going to strike out a ton, but they're not approaching that that record just yet. Bakota doesn't project that, but they do project uh, a pair of 190 strikeout guys, which has never happened in the same year on the same team. So that so that'll be uh, interesting to watch. Well, and, and a guy like Singleton, who who we kind of keep referencing with this, you know. If he's striking out that much, he might not be in the lineup. He might not be in the yeah. league. You know, Singleton has to – there are three guys for two spots right now. You have Chris Carter, Evan Gaddis, and John Singleton for first base and DH. Now, if all three were hitting, you probably could put one in left field, but that's not ideal at all. Um, you know, they, they like Jake Merzik. They want Merzik to be out there. If Springer's healthy, Springer's going to be out there. Well, you got Colby Rasmus. Uh, so if you're putting one of uh, Carter or Gaddis in left field, I, I'd expect it to be Carter just because of the injury history of Gaddis. Well, what do you do with Rasmus or Marisnik? You know, Singleton has got to earn his key to be in this lineup. And while I wouldn't expect him to, in the major leagues, all of a sudden uh, reduce the strikeouts because you just don't see guys do that. Uh, it's really kind of thing you've got to learn in the minor leagues. Hopefully, for his sake, if, if he's hitting, he's not standing at quite that rate. I guess you kind of answered this here, but the the Fowler trade I felt opened up a spot for Marisnik. It it kind of uh, pushed possibly pushed Springer to center field where where he may be of more value. But then they you know almost immediately turned around and signed Rasmus. It, it sounds like you're saying that uh, this won't keep Marisnik from getting quality at bats. And uh, what what will be the defensive alignment I guess in the outfield? 
So I think they are going to give, and Jeff Luner said this uh, in so many words, that they're, they're going to give him raises any chance possible to win a starting job. He does have to hit. He's still very young. So even if he doesn't hit right out of the gate, that doesn't mean he should be written off fully. Uh, if I had to guess, I, I, I don't think they want to move Springer around, whatever they end up doing, right? Springer uh, did a good job in right field last year. I think if Marizic is open to center field, you're planting Springer back in right field, and you're probably not moving him much. I don't think you're going to see Springer bouncing between the corners or anything like that. And then, logically, you've got Rasmus in left field. Now, we're a little, that's a little far down the road at this point. There's still Robbie Grossman um, and, and Alex Presley, and it seems right now that the competition is, is between those two for the fourth outfield spot, which you would have to inherently uh, give Presley a leg up He's making a million and he's out of options, where it's grossly to go back to the minors. Um, so, I mean, it's the question is, what, what's the alignment? I would say it'd be Rasmus on the left, Marisnik in center, and uh, Springer in right. And, and yes, the, the trade, you know, the, the way the Astros looked at the Fowler trade was they got three players for one and, and a tiny bit more money. You know, they got Valbuena, who they hope can kind of, um, you know, maybe substitute to make it to third base, perhaps take over third base. At the very least, you'll be kind of spurs Dominguez uh, on a little bit. Not that he needs motivating, but the presence of a very clear major league competitor could hurt. Um, so that, that's, what, that's where they were at. They felt like they could kind of spread the money and, and, uh, and fill some needs by making that move and then signing Rasmus right away. I could tell you, as someone that's watched Valbuena for a while, I'm, I'm utterly biased towards him. So even if he doesn't, he, he it, it's going to be hard for him to repeat 2014. But at the very least, he's going to entertain you uh, while watching him because he he, he delivers some uh, oddly timed bat flips. He won't bat flip when he hits a home run, but he'll hit a pop up or an easy out and he'll bat flip. He he likes to appeal his own check swings, even though the um, the home plate umpire has called a ca- called a ball. He'll still point to the third base umpire for a. a I root I root for colorful people and and good stories, right? So that's that's uh, that's a good thing. Yeah, and he and I I distinctly remember last year him chugging around uh, second base. Uh, uh, heading for a triple and knocking his helmet off, uh, you know, boisterously, and I and I couldn't help but burst out laughing in the in the press box because it was just just a, a hilarious scene. He's he's just fun to watch, and you know, and I've also uh, Cubs fans seem to there's there's a group of Cubs fans that felt he had no value because they stared at his batting average and felt this guy's a terrible ball player, but he just takes great at bats and and uh, you know often has a good uh, good on base percentage or at least a respectable one and and he's going to work the, make the pitcher work so he's he's he has a ton of value or you know a solid right. amount of value and if he can repeat last season then then that's a very fair trade i think for both clubs but but a lot yeah, of well, people and Australia, you know the Astros have a fifth spot rotation that mm-hmm. they've got to figure out and uh, you know Australia, if he can return to form uh trade could look great you know, the trade doesn't jump out at you as being a wow trade for a guy who's got the OVP that Fowler has as kind of a regular player, but if things fall the right way, if I'm winning this fairly both work out, that's a heck of a deal, you know? Mm-hmm. No doubt. Uh, so A.J. Hinch, I, I think, uh, just uh, when when he was suggested for the Cubs job, I think last year, I, there, I just remember the uproar. Everyone said, remember Arizona, how terrible he was, and that, that whole situation uh, whenever that was a few years ago, it was just everything was a disaster. Everything just nothing worked out. It was just a bad situation, and I feel it's completely unfair to judge AJ Hinch on that. But it's still it, it's still on his resume. How 
what is the front office said? What has Hinch said to kind of ease any issues that may come from, hey, look at how bad my last situation was, but, but this is why it's going to be different? You know, when he first got hired, uh, I, I set off to do a, a lengthy story on him to kind of answer questions like this. Um, the obvious answer of he was young, it was his first time, uh, plays into it. I think there's, I think AJ's been miscast, uh, in, in probably by a lot of people. You know, he's a Stanford guy, he's a front office guy that has somehow overshadowed his playing career, um, which, you know, was greater than Bo Porter's. I think if we were to think of AJ Hinch and Bo Porter as being an opposite spectrum in some way, uh, but AJ Hinch actually had a considerably longer major league career. Now, AJ wanted to be back in the billion. Uh, he, he, he was, he firmly, he told his people around him, Brody Van Wagner, who was his best friend. Um, that's where he wanted to be. He wanted to be back on the field. He wanted to be back in the action. Uh, and that's why he was in the mix for jobs like the Cubs and, and things like that. So I, I, he, he acknowledged he's made mistakes in Arizona. You're right. It was a totally uh, crappy situation. And, you know, those things happen. And it's, a, it's a live and learn type of deal. But I, I think every indication is that, that he is the right guy um, for this team now, if people can, well, people really, if his players can get around the idea that this is, um, you know, some some Stanford uh, uh, pen, pencil protecting wearing nerd, he, he's going to be just fine. And and you know, if you talk to AJ, you can kind of see very quickly he's not, you know, just talking to him today at the complex, um, you can tell he's impatient. He, he he wants to get out there. He's kind of sick of talking about the off season. Uh, and 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 what's going to happen next, and all the moves. He just wants to get the guys on the field, and, and, and I think that's what people don't realize about AJ is his attraction to the field. But that is what that's that's kind of at his core, uh, despite the fact that he went to Stanford. Uh, I'm not sure if you and the listeners can hear what's going on in my house right now, but apparently my daughter and son are having a high-pitched screaming contest in the basement. So if you can hear that, that's I, I promise nothing crazy is happening. It's just two toddlers uh, uh, having a screaming contest, I would assume. Uh, but that that's what's happening at my house. So uh, that's that's the explanation I'm giving for those high-pitched screams you may you may hear. I tried to <laughs> I tried to barricade myself in the bedroom, but but apparently. Uh, a four-year-old and an 18-month-old can scream through doors. So uh, I, I can't hear I can't hear them, but I'm used to hecklers. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I think they just wanted that's to you, be... Zach Levine, if you're listening. So. <laughs> they just they just wanted to be a part of uh, Baseball Perspectives podcast for once in their lives. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> you you mentioned earlier uh, talking about the, the team finally spending. It, it, are, are the fans aware of that? Are the fans, did the fans notice that? Was that something, uh, I'm assuming that's been an issue with fans as much as, uh, you know, that this rebuild is, is kind of coincided with the Cubs rebuild. So I know, I know how some fans react. Some of them are just like all in and they're just all about, yes, let's, let's do it. This, this franchise has been bad. This is a long time coming, blah, blah, blah. They, they get it. And there's others that are like, I, I don't want to watch this garbage anymore on the major, like the major league level. I'm paying good money to watch this. No, no, I don't want to do that. So it, how has the reaction been to, them actually, you know, doing some significant improvement to the to the major league club. Is there any buzz? Is is anyone buying into this? Are, are do people are people noticing in Houston? I think so. Houston is still primarily a football town, although um, from everything I understand, what the team is winning, uh, people do care and, and they do come out of support and a pretty strong force. Yeah, you know, the money. It, 
they're spending. They're spending more. You know, the payrolls are going to be about seventy million this year, you know, give or take a tiny bit spend what happens with NRIs and all that kind of stuff. Um, that's not a lot of money. It, it, you're kind of approaching reasonable cheating territory there, yeah. as opposed to uh, where we were before. It, it, it's kind of the thing where everybody's like, wow, that 19 game improvement from 2013 to 2014. But boy, when your threshold is 51 wins, you got to kind of draw, take a step back and look at your baseline again. But yeah, people are noticing. Uh, and that's what people wanted. They, they wanted to see a, a team that could care about now as opposed to in the future. And we talked to Luno the other day. He's pleased that the conversation with media members is no longer strict. You know, going to spring training last year, he was Marcatello, Carlos Correa, Michael Panevich, uh, you know, ad nauseum. Whereas this year, people uh, want to hear about Evan Gaps. They want to hear about the, the bullpen improvements and things like that. And they still want to know about the prospect uh, who are finally kind of on the cusp. You're, you're about to see that first draft class that Luno had as after CM uh, start to make an impact. Appel should be here by mid-season, assuming he has... Um, anything more successful than we had in the first half of last season. Um, you know, it, 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 on that line of thought, um, you look at Gattis trade, people uh, complained a little bit about the package they gave up to get Gattis. But from my perspective, when, when the Astros have gone through all they've gone through and they, they were so clearly living for the future for the first few years of this uh, regime, maybe they gave up a little bit too much, but if you're a fan, at least they're serving you in the moment finally. So I do think that is significant, and I do think that this is the first year where you can feel that. Now, you don't want to conflate that with a win-now team. This is not a win-now team, but this is kind of a bridge year where look, if they don't get 81 wins, nobody's going to kill them for getting to 77 or 79 that projection might have them or where they end up finishing up. Um, it's kind of it's kind of a nothing to lose type of season unless they somehow took a step back, which would be, um, I don't see how that could really be possible. Uh, yeah, Pakoda does have them for 77 wins in our latest update. And uh, last I saw that they were uh, projected to have the second most runs in baseball, which is uh, pretty fascinating. But, you know, they I think they had three of the top 10 home run hitters, according to Pakoda. Uh, so, you know, they're going to be scoring They're there. I think uh, I talked to someone about them recently and. And basically, they said, you know, there's going to be days when when they make a, a fifth starter look like Clayton Kershaw. He's striking out 15 guys, and, and they're not getting close to scoring a run or putting a ball in play. And there's going to be days where they just mash and, and score 10 runs, and, and the other the opposition doesn't have a chance to even you know feel like they're in the game. So it, it at the very least, I think this is an entertaining team. There's this roster. Uh, brings about some interesting uh, prospects and uh, I think some fun could be had uh, bef- before I let you go. Uh, I'm asking every, everyone this what storyline or event it's, it's less about what, what you're uh, less. It's less about what's most important for the team, but what are you most looking forward to covering as a reporter uh, really writing about and, and maybe digging deep into this season for the Astros? Well, you, you touched on the, uh, the strikeout possibility. It, it's good for me as a writer because what I can do is I can create just kind of two form stories, right? Like one is a 20 to nothing, four home run, one grand slam gamer. I can just kind of fill in the names, right? I can go home early. You know, I don't even have to say the ballpark. It's just kind of one, one result or the other. But what am I most looking forward to? Um, you know, I would, I, I would enjoy watching a full season of George Springer. I, I think people used to, somebody asked me that last spring, you know, what, what, uh, what would be most exciting? I, to me, he's the most exciting player on the team still, but you got to see if he's on the field. Uh, and the same thing with Gaddis. Gaddis doesn't strike me as an exciting player, although um, uh, Peter Moylan's 
the Australian reliever who uh, uh, we all hold dear to our hearts, um, he uh, he said he's the strongest man he's ever seen. Uh, you know, so he could be fun to watch too. But that's what stands out to me. Altuve was such a thrill this past year. I don't think it's reasonable to expect him to repeat it, um, or really to ever expect anybody to repeat it to that extent. But you know, he, he's a joy. I do think this year's draft is going to be interesting. Uh, with the, the roughly seventeen million dollars the Astros have to spend in two of the top five picks, and Brady Aiken possibly uh, trying to go again in the top five, and, and, and how all that shakes out, I think is a, is a fascinating uh, set of circumstances. And it's really important for the Astros future to, to, to nail uh, down some draft picks here. Do they go the college route? Uh, with the idea of getting men to town sooner rather than later, do they stick to the typical cliche of the uh, best talent available and all that? Um, so I think there's a lot going on. It's an interesting group of personalities. Colby Lassmus couldn't stop complaining about how his truck didn't do well in Toronto. You've got Jed Lowry, who's married to a, an ex-diplomat. Um, it, 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 it's, it's an interesting time in Astros history. Uh, and this is the 50th anniversary of the Astros, actually the second 50th anniversary, if you've been following this at all. They had 50th anniversary two years ago, I think, and they're now celebrating it again. Uh, so I don't really know what anniversary it is anymore, but uh, it, get, get, get your shirt now if you want the longer. Yeah, I saw I saw you tweet that out, and I was thoroughly confused by how many 45th and 50th anniversaries I've had. I, it's, uh, I guess, you know, take advantage of this. Do we do a 55th anniversary? You, should... I, 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 you know, where, where do we draw the line? Why was 45 a number? Is 55 a number? May as well go with 52, too. Why not? 52 works. 53. Let's do an anniversary. I, I, I'm not in marketing. I, I, I don't know how this works. Yeah. <laughs> Got to take advantage of it. It makes sense. I, I get it. All right, Evan. Uh, thanks for joining me. Why don't you let the let the listeners know where they can find you on social media and where they can read your work? Uh, you can heckle me at Evan Bellick. It's E-V-A-N. D as in David, R-E-L-L-I, C as in Charlie, H. And you'll be in uh, Houston Chronicle. What's what's the website for that? Uh, Cron.com. And then the name of the blog is Ultimate Astros. Google can help you find it. <laughs> That's Evan Drellick, Astros beat writer for the Houston Chronicle. I'm Sahadev Sharma. You can follow me on Twitter at Sahadev Sharma. Evan, thanks so much for your time. Take care. All right. You have reached the end of the Astros preview. Please send us questions at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. We will get to those at next week's listener email show. Please rate and review and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Join our Facebook group and the ongoing discussion there at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. And please support our sponsor, the Baseball Reference Play Index, by going to baseballreference.com using the coupon code BP and getting the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. We will be back with one more team preview podcast this week tomorrow. So, uh, so what, Ben? You want to say the thing? Yeah. yeah, sure. Okay. So, <laughs> thank you for for talking to the Astros about us. That was fun. It was my talking pleasure. about the Astros. Uh, yeah, about Sorry. the Astros. Say that uh, again, Ben. Sorry. Edit this out. Edit that out. Edit it out. Cyborgs can talk to the Astros. <laughs> <laughs> Edit this out. I went to a game, uh, like the first game of the college season um, at Cal at Berkeley because Mm -hmm. uh, some hotshot pitcher was pitching and uh, Chris Crawford, uh, who's an internet friend, uh, was out visiting Mm -hmm. to see him and Grant Brisby joined us and Ian Miller joined us and we had a good time, right? We were having a good time and we were excited because this was like the start of the baseball season for us, you know? It was the first Mm -hmm. game of the year and the first batter like uh, took three pitches to fall behind one, two, and then ground it out to shortstop. <laughs> I just thought, 
Oh, God damn, I can't. <laughs> I can't see another year of this. <laughs> <laughs>